Collingwood and internal investigations go together like a pie and sauce. As the official podcast providing high-level commentary and critique on Collingwood culture, we launch our own inquiry to find an answer to the question, does Collingwood have a culture problem? This is Pie Hard. Looking at Collingwood today, it's hard to imagine that this was one of the toughest suburbs in Melbourne. I have a magpie tattooed in a certain spot. I wouldn't say it's the biggest magpie getting around. Out of control brawl outside a Collingwood pub. 60 years ago, it was lined with boot factories. As gritty, grotty suburbs in prime locations turned into trendy hotspots. Bronze had five bounces, nearly get another one. He's the smartest guy on the team. He's going to have too many to pick from. You've got to go back to Billy Graham at the MCG for an American to dominate like this. The bubbles bursting three decades of grand final wobbles. I still can't believe it. I can. Oh. A weekend order by the club of 288,000 cans to be consumed. More comfortable with myself. It's as close as you'll get to greatness, you peanut. Shut up. Well, hello, everybody. It's Damien Miller here, and joined with me is Alex Watkins. Hello, Alex. Great to be here, Damo. Now, it's quite an extraordinary pie-hard episode we've got for you guys today because if you haven't caught up on the news lately, there's a lot of stuff happening both on and off the field in Collingwood land. Um, and from our perspective, a lot of that has to do with the culture of the Collingwood Football Club. There's a lot of questions at the moment around what's going on. There's a there's a, a run sheet of discrepancies which is starting to build up and a mass um, potentially curtailing a, a season which has started so promising. So I guess, Alex, my first question to you is what makes Pie Hard the, uh, the uh, right choice for the Collingwood Football Club to get on as external auditors and, and break this down? Well, Damo, that is a good question. As we know, AFL clubs love the optics of bringing, bringing an external review into the heart of the club to really get to the bottom of, of the kind of issues and cultural issues that clubs face. Mm. And, you know, Collingwood, as we all know, has never been immune to these kind of clusterfucks. And we're in the middle of a clusterfuck, let's be honest. So, look, I can just say to those Collingwood members out there and listeners that we take this job very seriously, being invited into the the, the snake pit down there at the Lexus Centre. Mm. We're sitting in the boardroom right now mm. and we're going to do our utmost to uncover exactly what has gone wrong at Collingwood. I think it's a really good, um, really good point you make. Um, that the season started off very strongly. Um, felt like going into 2020, we'd kind of adjusted a few things and, and got a lot right on the field as well as off. Connection was high. Buckley was um, seen by many people as uh, as one of the most astute coaches in the AFL caper, a very measured man who had seemingly taken a ramshackle side and, and, and really begun to craft that into something that looked quite dangerous. And here we are, albeit after a uh, curtailed, um, interrupted start to the season, the wheels of the uh, the Collingwood machine seem to be slightly failing. So it's really interesting. We do we do take this uh, responsibility seriously. I'm looking out now across uh, across the Lexus Park Oval. Uh, not a soul in sight. Uh, just numerous people erecting fences and barriers. But um, mm-hmm. you know, we sit here uh, with with a lot of gravitas. We we um, we do realise that this is a very important job for the for the team, and that some of the recommendations that we will be putting forward today will will have major you know impacts on not only players but the club itself moving forward. I'm quite quite excited. And look, Pie Hard, to answer your original question, Pie Hard is very well set up for this type of investigation because. 
we more than most understand that success on the field doesn't start in the field. It doesn't start in the coach's box or in the rooms before the match. It's It starts with culture, the bricks and mortar culture of a place. And here we are. Um, we don't want to be in this position, as the Premier might say, but we are and we have to confront the reality that um, there's some tough times ahead. Well, let's get into it um, and let's start at the top. Let's start with uh, Jordan Degoe. So Degoe, as everyone would be aware by now, has been charged with indecent assault over an alleged incident um, which dates back to 2015. Mm. Um, an AFL investigation into uh, the criminal charge, um, I believe, back in 2018, uh, the AFL Integrity uh, Unit reviewed, the, the club reviewed, and of course, Victoria Police reviewed the incident. No charges were laid at that point in time. Um, however, uh, based on what we assume is some uh, some additional evidence uh, surfacing or coming to life, uh, Degoy was charged uh, last week um, based on that historic uh, indecent assault charge. So I guess the first question that I have for you, Alex, is where to from here with regards to Collingwood's, um, I guess, uh, weapon, if you will, Jordan Degoe. What, what, what happens? What happens now? Well, look, let's cut straight to the chase, Damien. The question we're asking is, are we going to bone him or not? And I don't <laughs> mean bone in the sexual, uh, the sexual mm. sense. That would be inappropriate in the context. But I mean, are we going to keep Jordan beyond this season? Or are we going to try and maximise his value while he's still seen as a latent possible AFL superstar? Are we going to trade him? Are we going to trade JDG? That's the question. And it's it's a difficult one to navigate. Um, all you can do is try and assess what he might bring us on the field in terms of possible premiership success against some of his pitfalls culturally uh, as a team member and as a, as a clubman. I think, you know, I've thought longer hard on this and I'm not not about to late, make light of the charges. Uh, anything um, to do with sexual assault is incredibly um, serious and I think needs to be yeah. needs to be uh, investigated to the utmost. But if if we're going to assess Jordan Degoe, we have to look at his ability on the field and use a little bit of that Malthouse pragmatism that at Pie Hard mm. we've always enjoyed. If you're a good player, you get a little bit more rope and perhaps you get stick around for a bit longer than some of the, the fringe players that might have got boned a number of years ago if yeah. they did something wrong. With JDG, proven match winner, proven big game performer, um, especially, you know, I don't want to bark on about 2018. It was, it was obviously a great year for the club, but he showed us in that final series, I think he kicked 12-odd goals in big games. He showed us that yeah. he can turn a game. And I feel that if we were to trade Dugowie at this point, it goes back to the idea that perhaps clubs sometimes overvalue the draft. We've got mm-hmm. this proven performer on the big stage, someone who uh, we know at his best uh, he can deliver uh, to a standard that very few other players can. It's a matter mm-hmm. of trying to get him to that level more consistently. And if mm-hmm. we bring in a kid now, it's going to take a number of years potentially to see whether the kid's any good. But our list profile is such, just ask Ned Guy, that we want a premiership in 2020 or 21 or 22. I mean, that that's what we're aiming for. Our list is in absolute 
prime condition, premiership with Pendles as captain. So we want JDG to be part of that as a mature player already who just needs to find uh, some consistency to deliver. And the last thing I'll say is Collingwood is a club who in the past has thrived with some so-called characters on its list. Look, let's not beat around the bush. We've done well with some rats in the ranks in the past. There's no reason why uh, someone like Jordan can't fit in with a, a team culture of success, pull his head in off the field and um, deliver us some silverware along the way. It's interesting. Do you, do you think there's a, obviously you're talking about potentially trading him at the end of this season would be my take on that. Is there an issue with trading him at this point where his value seems to be considerably lower than it was this time last year and potentially hanging on to him longer and then executing a trade? Or is it mm. from a cultural point of view, a pie-hard point of view, this is like the, the sooner we make the cut, the better? Well, look, I mean, I don't know whether I made myself clear. I don't think we should trade him at all. I think that mm. his on-field potential uh, outweighs some of the off-field misdemeanors. Um, but I can see that the argument might be to maximise value. I, I take what you're saying. I mean, is there any point in selling him off at, at a low ebb and getting a lower price? when we mm. could potentially 12 months ago, you know, North Melbourne would have would have traded us, you know, Reece Shaw and half their playing list to get a hold mm. of him. So, look, I don't think it's a good idea to trade him uh, in any case um, and mm. cer- certainly not at the moment uh, at a low ebb. Um, you might be right. We're just not going to get the, the value that he deserves. I have this theory around um, footballers. You t- he obviously... This 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 goes to the heart of um, football intelligence, and you have very smart players, um, and you have very dumb players, and the dumb players tend to perform very well because they're very they're very easy to coach. Um, Dustin Martin is a great example of a footballer with probably not significant um, uh, intelligence. Stupid, uh, stupid player. Stupid player. But um, obviously performs extremely well in the circumstances, in the rigour of AFL football, which is very, it's very monotonous. It's very cut and thrust. You know, it's the same thing. It's jump on a plane, go and play a game, speak to the coaches. There's, there's repetition. And I think those who kind of tend to look outside of the football rank can, can tend to confuse themselves a little bit. And I think my, my take on this is that Dugowie is just is just a little bit, too much of a smart, dumb player. Oh. Like he's smart enough to try and get himself out of trouble, but not smart enough to pull it off and sort of dumb enough to get into that position in the first place. So I think from my point of view, this notion of either recruiting, you know, your prawn barons or your Chris Dawes's, mm. you know, your intellectual footballers, or at the other end of the scale, just your complete bonehead um, footballers who you know are just going to you know perform like you know like a sheepdog mm. or a dog if that analogy lands. The brains and the brawn. The brains and the brawn. Have we have we uh, have we have we just have we confused ourselves with Dugowie? Is is there a situation where you know if he wasn't as as smart, you know he'd just be concentrating on playing good football? Yeah, well, look, I take your point. He's somewhere in the grey area between he's got football smarts, which probably confuses it as well. Football smarts, 
but um, cultural dumbs. <laughs> That's it. And, uh, yeah, look, I think um, in his defence, I'll, I'll just add before we make our judgement, uh, pass our recommendation onto the board, it has been a number of years since this um, this assault and we all know uh, that this alleged assault happened, I think, what, five years ago, I think. And um, we all know between the ages of about 18 to, you know, mid-20s, we, we change a lot as people and you would think that um, with the support of the club, he is matured as a person. So perhaps he just needs to get through this rough patch uh, and then find some clear air potentially next season when there's no asterisk, we'll discuss that later, to find his best yeah. footy. Um, I, I'm content that um, we should keep Dugowie, um, tell him to to choose between being smart player or dumb player, but um, just don't be a smart, dumb player. Okay. Sorted. Moving on. Item two, agenda point number two, Collingwood's forward line. So this year it's fair to say we've fallen off completely with regards to our scoring power, finding it very difficult to find um, scoring weapons sort of were on tap about two or three years ago. So throwing it out there, what's the main problem with our forward line and uh, do we persist with the uh, the big American Mason Cox? Well, fascinating questions. Every Collingwood supporter would be frustrated right now. We seem to have an abundance of talent, but we can't score freely, at least uh, not uh, consistently throughout the game. Tend to open games well and then fall away. My theory on this, Damien, is that we have got and have had for a long time at Collingwood, a surplus of lead-up players. You go mm. back to the days of a Paul Medhurst, even players that look like they should be smalls, like stunted stunted little gnomes like Medhurst, they actually play tall. And we've got the mm. same conundrum here with Jamie Elliott, who I think um, is best as a lead-up player, competing for that, that lead-up space with a Jaden Stevenson. Even a Will Hoskin Elliott when he's forward, he's certainly a lead-up type. And we just have been wanting for a genuine crummer for so long. I mean, the days of um, Madge, of um, our, our favourite, pie-hard favourite, Leon Davis playing in the forward line, uh, that's a long time ago now. But I just I just think that we could really do with some, some more crumming players to get to the get to big Mason's feet. Mm. And um, I'm a big Mason Cox fan. So as far as I'm concerned, he has proven himself um, in, in at least one big game. We know which one that was. It was a preliminary final. And even a couple of weeks ago, he had a shocking game, um, but took a big mark and kicked truly in the last quarter and just showed that sometimes um, when the pressure's on and you have to go down the line, Mason can perform uh, that contested marking role. The question I've got for you is, apart from Mason Cox, is you know where does Majacek fit into the mix, and, and can you win a premiership with a, I guess, an undersized centre half forward like Majacek? Yeah, it's a big question. I, I'm I'm a, I am a fan of Majacek. So I think he's I think he's been a um... I think he's he's punching above his weight. Clearly, um, he's being asked a lot too. So he's he's being asked to hold down. Like he's playing at Port Melbourne 
three years ago as a, as a defender, as a, as a full back. Mm. So I think we demand a lot from our players. I think the, uh, the Collingwood supporters are very quick to, um, to lay the boot in, arguably maybe as they should be, uh, especially when it comes to a, a team like Collingwood. My, my take on my check is um, I would like to see a, a dual forward line consisting of Darcy Cameron and Mason Cox. Oh. And I would look to bring in um, a surplus, a fleet of that swoop squad style. Mm, swoop squad. I haven't heard that for a while. Well, they fell off. They fell off the cliff about two years ago. Remember um, who, who was in the swoop squad again? Well, it was Josh Thomas and um, Stevenson and I think Elliot. Hoskin Elliot. Hoskin Elliot. Yeah. Um, we just had this surplus of mid-sized forwards. There was too many options for opposition teams to cover. I think. Yeah. I, I see no reason why we can't get back to that. No, I, I, I agree. I agree. But I think what's missing is I think Myacek. You know, I think Myacek is is as a structural point of view, he's just not tall enough. I think he's he's as tall as Pendlebury. So mm. I read. Uh, I read a stat, so he's not, he's not a tall guy. I've nothing against Myacek. I think he's I think he's done a, he's done a wonderful job, but I think we need I think I think we've we've been found out by a lot of teams. I think we go heavy to Myacek, we go heavy to Dugowie, we go to Cox. I think having the two tall marking options and having playing Will Hoskin Elliott, Elliott and Stevenson closer to home, closer to the goal line. Mm. You know, could could bring us back to that kind of twenty eighteen era, um, and at least look just change things up. I yeah. think I think we've we've kind of like Bucks, um, you know, has has given this kind of setup a, a solid go, and it's clearly not translating into goals. So I would like to try that. I take um, your point. Even Will Kelly. Yeah. Look, the one only thing I'd add is that I reckon opposition teams. The worst case scenario for them is seeing Tagoe line up out of the square. Mm. It's a nightmare for a defender. Mm. And I'd like to see, I'm not convinced he's doing a great deal of damage in the midfield when he goes in. So I'd like to see it opened up for him and Stevenson. It just really looks to me like they are, they are our, our elite talents up forward, those two players, Stevenson, Tagoe. And, yeah, the other blokes should get around the feet uh, maybe Josh Thomas will get another chance at some stage, maybe not. But um, bring back the swoop squad. I'm glad you brought that up because I've been missing those boys. Um, we should be we should be a real handful with the kind of talent we got. So the recommendation is to go out of the square, Josh Thomas comes back into the side, Darcy Cameron, Mason Cox play, Maya checks it's out. It's, kind of, it's a complicated soup of suggestions. I'm not on board with Cameron, by the way. I think that he hasn't done anything yet. <laughs> give him give him some time, maybe in a couple of years. Get Cox in there, uh, open up some space for perhaps a Dugowie and a Stevenson. And, um, and look, Majacek's good-looking uh, enough to keep his spot. Locked in. Okay, moving on. Item agenda number three is steel side bottom. So... We all know what took place uh, a couple of weeks now, a couple of weeks ago at um, Daniel Wells' home in, in Williamstown. Um, Eddie Maguire has given a tease, uh, his take on the uh, on the incident. Um, apparently it's happened to everyone, so 
Um, we'll take any of his work there. But what, what happens with side bottom when he returns in Perth? I know he's in Perth at the moment. Do we strip him of the vice captaincy? Do we uh, do we completely ban Williamstown or, or ban all Speyside single malts? Mm, I've got a question yes. on this one. The old single malt. Well, I thought it was a bit rough on um, some of our, um, you know, Scottish uh, distillery brethren to blame the liquor. Um, mm. But, you know, I'm thinking that he's not a he's not a huge guy. He's a fairly diminutive figure, uh, Steele. So perhaps he got stuck into some of those Islay or Islay, um, kind of those PT mm. numbers, like maybe it was a Lafroig that, that got him undone. Um, mm. Someone of his stature should probably stick to the Speyside or the or the Highlander malts, um, just something a bit simpler, like a Glenfiddich uh, would do nicely. But yeah, just stay away from those peaty, heavy uh, island uh, island um, scotches that can really can really get to you. And um, my my recommendation here is that um, look, Steel, he slipped up. Uh, from all reports, he was found almost naked. Caroline Wilson. Weirdly, uh, on Footy Classified, added a saucy little detail that he was actually found with Daniel Wells's daughter's jacket or item of clothing wrapped around him, otherwise naked, uh, which was an unnecessary um, detail to repeat here, but um, one I enjoyed. Steele slipped up. Keep the vice captaincy. He's certainly doing his time, a month on the sidelines, plus the embarrassment. Uh, with no further ado, uh, bring him back in in Perth and, um, you know, get that uh, great cranium from Shepparton uh, back in the mix. So Half Naked, just, just to clarify this point, so Half Naked was um, was the lower half? Well, I'm not sure. Uh, I did get through some forums to try and get some of the more lurid details uh, about uh, what type of nudity. He was certainly naked on the cranium, but he has been for some time. Mm-hmm. And I think... The fact is that he was disorientated and, um, you know, the, the cops had to drive him home. Unfortunate affair, but as um, has multiple people within the club um, sprang forward to defend him, uh, they said he was just trying to help a mate out, uh, Jeremy Howe, uh, who had had a horrifying injury um, and was going to Jeremy's house to console him, presumably, on the night before his 30th birthday. But um, I'm not sure why that... Um, Necessitated uh, the twelve Lafroigs in Williamstown, and and I'm not sure why he was in Williamstown anyway. So I feel for Steele, um, but we all make mistakes. I have a take on this, and I think uh, it goes back to the Malthouse era. I think what, what started to trip us up culturally was was diving into this this idea of self reporting. Mm. I think, to be honest, every time, you know, certainly over the last couple of years, we've self-reported an incident. It hasn't gone down well. It's led to player suspensions, um, the harsh eye of the media, condemnation from players, potential, you know, stripping of captaincy, you know, flag aspirations down the tube. I think we've given um, self-reporting a go. Mm. I think uh, I think we've, we've run it as far as we can. Um, if you look at side bottom, if you look at the kid, Stevenson. Mm. Um, we certainly never self-reported back in the days of Dennis Banks, Darren Mullane, Rat Pack, no. um, Swan and his cohorts, you know, coming back from Vegas and getting their bloods tested. I think there's a culture of self-reporting that in my eyes has gone too far. 
Yeah, I like um, your thinking. Do you, get any, do you get any credit for self-reporting these days? It doesn't feel like you do. Well, I saw that Steele, um, ostensibly he did self-report, but then some people had a go at that that reporting of of the event by saying, well, he'd already been picked up by the police and seen half naked in a roundabout in Williamstown, so he knew that the gig was up, so he self-reported to get ahead of that anyway. But, look, I, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, this bloody self-reporting business, it's not like we're getting any kind of cred as a club. I mean, if they had self-reporting back in the day, as you, as you said, they'd, they'd run out of paper to self-report on. There'd be a self-report, you know, at breakfast, lunch, and dinner at the at, at Vic Park. So I think there should be a club-wide um, rule from here on in uh, of non-reporting. We don't report uh, until we're reported on. That's our recommendation. Okay, <clears throat> so a big ticket item that we haven't discussed yet on Pie Hard, but we will. And just to clarify here, we are at Pie Hard and anti-racism podcast, and it should be said a pro Heritia Lumumba podcast um and it has been difficult for us to watch over the last you know few months the uh the issues bubbling to the surface with Heridia's time at the club some of the accusations that have come through uh, which have been backed up by players um from my point of view it's really difficult kind of watching this come to light because I loved watching Heridia um I loved I loved watching him during the finals campaigns in 2010. Um, those high thrusting leg lifts out of defence. Mm. Um, that you know that kind of come from nothing Collingwood story that we love so much. You know, he was picked up as a rookie from Perth, had to fly across the country. No team had given him a chance. Collingwood did. He was playing out in Williamstown in the seconds. I think he was taken under um, James Clement's wing. Uh, and kind of fashioned into this incredible, you know, backman for the Collingwood Football Club. And to see him on the outer um, and feeling so, uh, you know, disappointed in the club and where that whole situation's got to is is, is really disappointing. Like, mm. it gives us uh, no joy on this podcast. And we have seen today that um, in response to Collingwood's internal investigation, as we said at the top of the podcast, no one loves an internal investigation more than the Collingwood Football Club. Uh, Heredia has come out and, and said that, you know, he isn't satisfied with how that's coming together uh, for multiple reasons, which would take us a whole uh, podcast to unpack. But at, at the at the heart of it is his treatment um, or how he feels he was treated at the club um, during a period which was largely, I think it was around 2008 to 2014 um, when he left, um, accusations of a nickname, uh, which we won't uh, detail on the podcast, uh, which was heard by numerous players, and a sense that when he spoke up uh, off the back of the Maguire incident on Triple M, um, when he was talking about the King Kong film and Adam Goods, that the club, um, instead of supporting his his beliefs and views, tried to, I guess, do the PR rinse um, and, you know, accused him of speaking out against the president at the time. All claims which um, in the modern era is very much... Um, you know, at the heart of, of the Black Lives Matter movement at the moment that we're seeing um, permeate all levels of society. 
So I guess our take on this is it's, it's a big question for you, Alex. I don't know if you're ready, but um, the question for you is, is Collingwood a racist club? Oh, yeah. Well, look, we're not mucking around. These are the big questions. Um, and we're not making live of it either. Uh, in all seriousness, you know, we do support Heretier. I think the first step which has been undertaken, which which was uh, long overdue in, in our view, is that to take him seriously, to take his accusations seriously and his experience seriously. I think the club's turned a corner there. We do have a racist history. There's no doubt about that. You, you look at... Um, certain goings-on over many years back to the Win- Win- Nicky Winmar incident, um, Alan McAllister's reign as club president, um, you know, was tainted in some respects by his um, lack of sensitivity to issues of race. And, you know, to be brutally honest, Collingwood was never, never really has been a destination club for Indigenous players, which I've always felt uh, is a great shame because we, the Indigenous players we do have Coming through the club, we love them dearly. Um, I would I would suggest that, um, as I mentioned earlier, Neon Leon Davis is probably um, this podcast's favourite ex-player. And, you know, other clubs like Essendon, they seem to have a, rot- a rotating uh, door of um, terrific Indigenous talent coming through. And I think that over many decades, perhaps uh, Collingwood wasn't a destination club. Um, and I think there's probably something behind that culturally and historically uh, that made that happen. But in the current time, we've got an administration who's trying to take this seriously. As I mentioned, I think they've turned the corner. And certainly the um, review into uh, racism is a much-needed one, and we support Heretier in his claims. Is it too late um, for a review of this nature, given these claims were first um, raised back in 2017? Oh well, look. I, I think it's probably it. It probably is too late in a lot of ways, but it doesn't mean it shouldn't be done. Um, you got to front up to your history, and a lot of Australian, a lot of Australians struggle with um, with doing just that. Um, we're not going to get into politics too much on this podcast, but suffice to say that I think it's best to be honest mm-hmm. about uh, what makes you you and what makes the club the club. So that um, you know, you can make it a better place for everyone going forward. Okay. On that note, I think the uh, the gavel shall fall. All right. So, item number five is of a, a little bit more of a light-hearted um, look at the club in recent times, and mm-hmm. it, it comes down to uh, the sartorial nature of the Collingwood Football Club. There's a lot of discussion at the moment around um, the club's apparel sponsor, currently ISC. Um, but ISC, I know, I know you follow the stocks and the share market very closely, Alex, and you would know this, yeah. is in a, in a spot of bother at the moment, ISC. They're, uh, they're on the verge of bankruptcy. Ooh, a very, so, a very right. tough game to be in, in to be honest, um, sports apparel. Margins, you know, incredibly thin, as thin as some, some of the uh, garments that the players wear, and a lot of stiff competition from some of the major players out there in the world of, uh, of uh, competitive sports apparel. Well, you don't see ISC on LeBron's trunks, do you? No, you don't. No, there was no mention of ISC in the last dance, um, regardless of, uh, of where they are at the moment. So I'm not even sure it, what it stands for. It sounds like an insurance mob. It does sound like I think it is integrated sports clothing. Yeah. 
Jeez, you wouldn't want your sports clothing to be uh, non-integrated. Just falling <laughs> apart at the seams, wouldn't it? It would be. It would, would. It would lead to a lot of returns. Again, very bad for the bottom line. Perhaps so that's their problem. They just the the Collingwood members are fed up. They're you know financially stressed because of COVID, and not only that, they're getting delivered club merchandise from our, our old favourite Simon Prestige Como, which is falling apart at the seams because it's not integrated. Well, you would have thought we would have learned. You would have thought we thought we would have learned about integrated apparel after the disaster that was Star Athletic. Oh. If you can remember back to Star Athletic, that was the um, that was the clothing range that was founded out of the Promotions Factory in Paran. Now the Promotions <laughs> Factory um, dealt in pens, um, shelf wobblers, um, erasers, notepads. You know, just kind of the shit that you find in 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 a doctor's surgery. You know that that free crap that they give out with all the brand names on it. We decided to go into um, our own manufacturing. I think they looked at those paper thin margins. I realized that if we could claw that back and start producing our own um, clothing under the brand name of Star Athletic, that that would be a boon mm. for the offers. Now, it didn't work out, and for that very reason, lack of integration, obviously, Star Athletic, it never really took off. It was it was also symbolic of a very, a very bad time for the Collingwood Football Club. You know that period between, what was it, 2012 and 2014 or 2015 where really shit started to going going pear buckley had kind of lost a couple of the old premiership heads oh, a lot rush, of, rush know, for the exit yeah names like jackson payne um you know being thrown around as as the next you know the prodigal sons of the next collingwood era mm. never really took off but we do we do want to talk i don't want to get um sidetracked by star athletic here i do want to talk about um something that we have picked up on podcast and that is the collarless sweat wicking um, cycling jersey that Buckley has now been captured wearing at both the Richmond game and the Essendon game. Now, it seems to be, from our point of view, something that he brings out on colder, chillier evenings because okay. he, has, he has reverted back to the standard sponsor polo uh, in the game against St Kilda. So it's a very it's a very neat look. It's a very it's a very suave look. I don't think every AFL coach could adapt the uh, the kind of skin tight cycling look, the mm. peloton look that Buckley has adopted. But as a very ripped man, he seems to look, you know, very good in it. And and we like to think that there should be more movement um, for satoric sartorial you know expressions of individuality in afl football we don't see it enough mm. um, the argument should be said and i'd love to get your take on this whether we should be bringing back you know fine italian suits whether they have a role to play in the modern game um or whether coaches should be allowed to um you know arrive on match day wearing whatever um garment they they, they choose well look damien I'll credit you with introducing me to what I now rate as one of the sartorial high points of Collingwood coaching history during the week, and that was Lee Matthews. And Lee mm. Matthews, he was a bull on the field, but, gee, he was a stylish man off it. And in his coaching career with Collingwood, he managed to combine the white shirt with uh, what I presume was a black Collingwood tie Mm. Um, done up into a Windsor, but 
as you as you as you mentioned to me uh, off air, he was able to mitigate the formality of that attire with a parachute tracksuit top mm. to kind of have a foot in both camps. And all I'd like to see from Nathan to bring it back to the current day is a Collingwood tie. I think that um, mm. it would boost our chances of securing um, some of the more um, rich. Uh, club club sponsors, lucrative. Yeah, lucrative was the word I was looking for, and mm-hmm. I think that striding onto the ground, um, you know, circa mid nineties, Lee, mm-hmm. uh, there's a certain confidence the supporter group can have in a coach who is dressed to impress, not just the sponsors and the TV cameras, but the players. Certainly means business, doesn't it? I, I don't think it can be any tired. I don't think. I don't think going into the 90s era, Looney Tunes, um, you know, Tweety Bird wearing the Collingwood jumper mm. style satin tie would, would necessarily <laughs> send a clear message to young players. Like if Jordan Degoe, if Buckley had singled out Jordan Degoe for a, an address at three-quarter time and was wearing, um, you know, the Tasmanian Devil uh, in, in a Collingwood top, I'm not sure if that's actually going to deliver it. But, you know, potentially a striped, a striped number, potentially knitted. A knitted tie, oh, yeah. a thin knitted tie, black and white stripes. Um, it certainly would ease the transition between the president's luncheon and the uh, the ground. Um, yeah, look, Nathan's got his own style. Perhaps the Peloton, uh, you know, Alberto Contador number he's been sporting was kind of wolf whistling uh, of the the Melbourne fans, who of course enjoy their Sunday morning rides around the bay, and perhaps. Um, you know, just by him donning this kind of outrageous cycling attire, he's able to present himself as, uh, you know, the uber athlete that, um, you know, he's always been. And it does show off his physique. So I certainly admire him for the the kind mm-hmm. of shape he stays in. But um, Nathan, uh, I don't know what sweat wicking means, but um, mm-hmm. if you're sweating too much in the box, you need some sweat wicking. Uh, it mm. probably means, um, you know, we need to look at some personnel changes on the field. Mm. Sweat wicking is a breathable fabric. So mm, the okay. more sweat, the more it's drawn away from the body and actually dries. So you're not left wearing, you know, with the sweat patches under the arm. It's it's it's, it's modern technology. I don't think it was available back when Lee Matthews um, was, was coaching. But, you know, some form of sweat wicking tie to catch the spittle during a... Oh, good, um, yeah fervid halftime address could be something that we could look into. Maybe we should chat to um, to the guys at ISC, Integrated Quality yeah. Management. Absolutely. It's decided an ISC uh, Collingwood-branded sweat-wicking tie available from all good retailers this summer. Now, item number seven is what we are calling our sacrificial lamb. And, Alex, I would like you to introduce to our listeners, listeners what this um, this item is all about. Yes, well, Damien, the sacrificial lamb, uh, strange title for a uh, agenda item in the middle of a review, but essentially what I've noticed is that year on year, the football gods demand blood from Collingwood, and let's be honest, they're not satisfied until they have it. Uh, it's, I, th- I believe, some kind of ongoing repercussion for the evils of Alan McAllister's um, you know, tyrant years and he's tryst with the devil. But all those decades ago it may have begun and it's continued and 
it's basically an overrepresentation of injuries uh, to Collingwood players. Now, my theory is this. If we ever have a run of games without serious injuries, we know as Collingwood supporters that the next one's just around the corner. And we saw it and it was tragic. It was heartbreaking to see Jeremy Howe go down, the leg twisted in that fashion. So my suggestion is simple. In order to mitigate or to get ahead of, prevent the football gods taking that Collingwood blood as they as they think is is their right to take, we need to get ahead of them and offer them a sacrificial lamb. So the mm-hmm. question is twofold. Who's off limits for the football gods? Who can we not afford to go down with a serious injury for the sake of the side? And on the other side of the coin, who can we offer up in their place? Uh, well, you've put me on the spot here because I've done no research on this, but I think it's really clear. The, the sacrificial lamb must be the, the weaker, the weakest beast within the herd, mm-hmm. surely. You, you don't give away prime stock um, to the gods as a sacrifice. So unfortunately it does mean that for me I am picking John Noble. Now... <laughs> That's harsh. I mean, he's not just, he, he's a, a lamb in the true sense of the word, like that fluffy, white, innocent yeah. looking one with the, the knees that bend the wrong way in the paddock. Yeah, yeah. Not, not only his appearance, but, you know, I, I do think that taken as a, uh, as a player in a mid-season draft, he's always going to have that, you know, just that taste, isn't it? Like, you know, it's, it's just going to, it's, it's the, you know, what, what's, what's the analogy here? It's, it's the sloppy seconds. Well, he's got that that spring lamb um, has that peculiar taste of innocence and he's really going to reek of that. Um, Look, I was going to say um, Tyler Brown, but um, look, Tyler Brown, uh, I think he gets off because um, he's, (laughs) well, he just looks like a lamb. I mean, he's kind of underdeveloped and doesn't know where he's on the field. But I didn't look. We don't want to sacrifice someone. This is to avoid a Brody Grundy or a, Mm. you know, Jordan Dugowie going down. But Look, I've come around to John Noble. It didn't take much. He looks like a lamb and, um, look, he's ready to be slaughtered. We're very sorry, John, but um, your head's on the block. Uh, We're giving you to the gods. Okay, moving on. We are up to item number eight, and it is, of course, the president of the Collingwood Football Club, Eddie Maguire. Now, uh, it needs to be said said that we are – also, a pro Eddie podcast. Uh, we do look at um, the impact that Ed Maguire has had on the Collingwood Football Club, basically picking it up uh, from its haunches many, many moons ago and turning it into an absolute global sporting powerhouse, um, which we've covered in many episodes of Pie Hard, um, up there with some of the kings of European soccer in terms of audience and earning power, um, a cavalcade of sponsors from uh, Emirates right through to um, Pie Face, uh, the, uh, the offshoot pie shop, which you'll get at United um, petrol stations across the state of Victoria. Mm. So he brought a lot of money into the club. Um, as someone who has frequented a president's club 
uh, in the past. There are a lot of big names swanning around, whether that's, uh, you know, your global international Hollywood superstars or your captains of industry, um, all pouring money into the CFC. And, you know, at the heart of it all is a, is a grinning Eddie Maguire. But it needs to be said that with the champagne, you also get the poison. And what I mean by that is Eddie's continued need to have the final say in every single incident or happening surrounding the Collingwood Football Club, in part due to his conflicted role within the media. Um, It has definitely bubbled to the surface. Um, Certainly if you listen to Eddie's response to the steel side bottom incident, I think that really could have been handled by our CEO or head of football, Jeff Walsh, or potentially even a Nick Maxwell um, who heads up uh, leadership and culture within the team. But again, it falls to Eddie um, to come up with some really kind of random half-ass excuse that no one buys, um, constantly covering the players. And I think it's it's a very noble thing to cover a player when they've done wrong. Um, As a football club, it's family. Sometimes you need to protect those within. But from, uh, from where we're sitting, the question has to be said, is it time to replace the Collingwood president? Look, I couldn't agree more with your summation of Eddie's pros and cons. I mean, fiscally, as we've covered before, He's had an enormous impact and he'll forever be a big part of Collingwood history. He, um, he helped bring us a flag. He's on the Nathan Buckley bandwagon, always has been. But, look, I tend to agree he just does not ha- know how to manage that divide between representing the club and being a media personality. And I think it comes down to this. The media's role is to get the truth and the public relations arm of the football department, if you will, their role is to hide the truth mostly Mm. or to mitigate any negative impacts that might be cast upon Collingwood as a result of the truth getting out. And I watched him on Footy Classified. I don't know whether anyone else, any of our listeners have this um, you know, this problem, but I watch Eddie on Footy Classified and he's just like a square peg in a round hole. The others are trying to bring this hard-hitting football journalism and genuine opinions um, and Eddie's there trying to give the perspective which is going to smooth things over uh, as best he can for the club and it's excruciating to watch. Having said that, should Eddie go? I mean, that's what we're really asking here. Should Eddie go and uh, who would replace him? Well, I've heard that Craig Kelly's uh, has aspirations to uh, lead the club in, in some capacity mm. in the future. And we know Craig Kelly is a very successful players agent. So that would come potentially with its own set of conflicts of interest. But the main thing I can't get over is if Eddie's annoying in the media now as Collingwood president. Imagine if he was outside the bubble. (laughs) I think that it would just exacerbate the problem 
he'd have an opinion on everything, anything and everything. Um, he would think that his inside knowledge of the club gives him, you know, some kind of greater uh, gravitas when it comes to his opinions. I struggle to think of a world in which uh, Eddie uh, could be more annoying than, than he is when it comes to some football topics, but um, it's not something I want to test. So, Eddie, let's keep you around and mm. um, let's see if you can bring this uh, Nathan Buckley train bandwagon to fruition. He's hanging on for one more flag, isn't he? I think that he would see that rightfully as, you know, the cherry on top. And good luck to him. I mean, if it happens in the next couple of years, that would look to me like a very well-rounded presidential career. Okay. Eddie stays. It's official. All right. Item number nine, and this is the big question. So we've uh, we've spoken a lot today around some of the uh, unflattering uh, incidents and scenarios that have affected the club in the last two weeks. So it really boils down to this question. Does Collingwood have a culture problem? I'm going to throw it to you, Alex, before I give my thoughts. But it's a deep question mm. and uh, it deserves a little bit of time. Take it away. This is probably a question which, um, you know, you could talk at length on, but I won't. I think Collingwood's got too much culture. I think it's... Um, it's so much culture in Collingwood that it's spilling over the brim and mm. it's burning our knees. The ups and downs, the misdemeanours, the presidential gaffes, they're all part of the fabric of the place. Um, mm. And as we mentioned, they, they always have been, but due to self-reporting, they tend to be on the front page more than ever. We don't necessarily have a, a culture problem as much as we have a surplus of culture in the club. And culture's worth celebrating. I agree 100% with you. I, I think we don't have a culture problem. I think we have a media problem. And that is that the Collingwood Football Club sells newspapers. Maybe not so much newspapers, maybe uh, mm. 300 by 250 um on, on pages and, uh, and programmatic ads, but Collingwood sells. And as long as Collingwood sells, Media is going to um, be all over us like a uh, like a storm cloud on a picnic, and I think for that reason it will always be inflamed that Collingwood um, has deep seated issues. But that's that's not reality. I think all of these clubs from time to time have these have these challenges. We saw the Western Bulldogs go through it earlier. Um, you know we've we've seen it time and time again. And I think that's just part and parcel of supporting a team like Collingwood. Like you are, you are going to be under the microscope. So when a player does stuff up, which they will, mm. guaranteed, that is going to be front page and there's going to be a three-hour special with Kane Corns and Tony Jones on a Sunday morning dissecting the, um, the challenges with the Collingwood Football Club. That's the thing <laughs> is, I mean, p people pretend to hate Collingwood, but they can't get enough of Collingwood. I mean... Yeah. The way people consume Collingwood media, I'm talking about Collingwood supporters, but also non-supporters, mm. people like Kane Corns. I mean, he wakes up in the morning, mm. first thing he does, he checks his phone to see if there's any Collingwood news because mm. he wants it. He's excited mm. by it. Mm -hmm. The next scandal for him is another opportunity to get his mug on TV and talk down the pies. So I think that um, Collingwood in many ways keeps the media going. Uh, yeah, I, I agree 100%. Bring that gavel down. We should talk very briefly before we wrap things up about Friday's crunch game against 
Hawthorne. This is the fork in the road for the Collingwood Football Club. I don't think it's too early to say this. A, a win puts everything back on, uh, you know, back on an even keel. We reload, we recharge, and we position ourselves as a um, potentially, maybe not a premiership favourite, but definitely a, a top four contender. Now, a loss in the uh, in the current climate and with what surely will be more um, instances of, of delays and interruption to an already interrupted season, a loss would potentially not only put set us back from a um, from a ladder point of view, but would it be would it be time, Alex, if there was a Collingwood loss on Friday? To maybe just call uh, this season for what it is, an absolute clusterfuck basket case mm. and potentially bring in some youth with a slightly longer term uh, approach to bring in some kids uh, next year via the draft with a potentially early draft pick and also put some much needed game time into some of the, uh, some of the younger kids we have in the list. Big question. And I'd love to get your uh, your take. I think we're ready. I think mm. we should expedite the blooding of some very important young players, uh, not just IQ, who has already uh, played, but um, we haven't seen enough of. But I'm talking mm. about one Nick Dacos. Ooh, whisper. I think that um, I'm sure that Eddie could get on the blower to the Carey football coach and get Nick up to Sydney and just uh, or over to Perth and just see if we can get him get that ball rolling because um, the Sparrow says that uh, young Nick Dacos is going to be even better than his brother. Potentially, uh, it was mm. said uh, this last week, potentially a top five draft pick. Mm. So that would be an exciting prospect. This is unprecedented. You're basically saying get him in the team now. Send him to Perth. Mm. Get a couple of games into him pre-draft, mm. pre draft. Collingwood selecting him, um, so we're not starting from a you know from a from a um, from a standing start. I, I think that's I think it's a very bold. Mm. It's a very Collingwood move. Well, look, um, if we're gonna if we're gonna call it an asterisk season, which we yeah. haven't called it yet, we have not called it an asterisk yet. But if we keep losing, then we activate the asterisk. Mm. We also uh, there's a lot of confusion in the AFL, a lot mm. of moving goalposts, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Everyone's mm. trying to be agile and nimble, as everyone keeps on bang on about. They're not going to notice. Mm. We slide Nick in. Any any potential issues with playing a, a non-listed sixteen-year-old? Um, well, this is what I'm saying. I mean, there's so much confusion. I mean, um, look, we could just get him to shave his head and we roll him out as mm. if he's still side bottom. But the the point is that mm. we're giving experience to our younger players. Um, in all seriousness, I'd like to see IQ. Uh, on the yeah. field, I think it's good they're giving Tyler Brown a good run at things rather than bring him in and out of the side. Um, John Noble certainly has uh, has had a good, a, a good run at it too. What do you think? Well, as Alex Weislitz, um communicated to us earlier today, um, Will Kelly is making his debut well, on yeah. Friday night in the team. We don't know at the expense of who yet. We, we have a few, we have an inkling. Um, oh, so hang on, Will Kelly's playing. In the AFL Will Kelly, side. Will Kelly is playing on Friday night. Oh, you beauty. Um, I didn't realise. That's a terrific announcement here in Pie Hard. 
It was announced today. So very interesting, you know, to see what that forward line looks like with a um, with a swoop squad um, buzzing around the uh, the ankles of, of Will Kelly. Don't want to set expectations too high, um, but boy, does that make us happy, doesn't it? There's nothing more exciting as a supporter of any club than youth coming through and setting things on fire. If anything, we've had too much expectation this last 18 months since we made the grand final. And let's get back to a state of low expectation, high results with young bloods leading the way. That would be an ideal scenario. And I think there's no reason this week why we couldn't be back on the winners list. All right. Well, it's been a um, it's been a turbulent episode of of Pie Heart. I think we can all agree we've faced a lot of demons, mm. uh, demons that needed to be exercised. And I think it's our duty as um, as Collingwood's official and only cultural podcast to um, to dive into these issues. Uh, again, we've only really scratched the surface of the report. I'm guessing we'll write this down into some form of leave behind. Hmm. or some sales deck or something for Eddie um, at some point, which we'll probably start on later on. But A tome of recommendations. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll send that through. We'll email, email that through. But, yeah, I think, I think it's, it, there's a lot of good recommendations in there that we can, um, we can propose to the club to take on board. And like we said, it's not broken. Like this, this Collingwood operation we've got um, will live on. That's right. And if we lose this weekend... Um... You're not likely to hear from us again. <laughs> okay, don't forget to um, follow us on our socials. We are at Pie Hard Podcast. You'll find us on Instagram. You'll find us on Twitter. Please get in touch. We'd love to hear from you. Let us know if you think that Collingwood has a cultural problem. Alex, as always, thank you very much for joining us. I hope you stay safe. Yeah, I told someone today I feel like a prawn in District 9, but... Um... I don't mind prawns, so we're going with it. Okay, well, this was Pie Hard. 